Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. If you have been with us in our sermon series, it will be no surprise to you that we're going to be heading back to the book of Ephesians this morning. We've been in a sermon series entitled Called Out, and we've been looking at the statement that Jesus made out of Matthew chapter 16, where he said that he was going to build his church. And that word there, ecclesia, that he uses is a word that means to be called out and into community, and that you and I are called out of kind of the world around us and the experience that we've had up to this point. We're called into this new community in Christ, a new community of Christ followers, and that in doing so, uh, we are called to be different and we're called to do different as a result of that. And so we've been walking through what it looks like um, to be different. In the last uh, couple weeks, we've started to talk about what it means to do that, to live it out in our lives. Uh, early on in pastoring here at Sterling Foursquare Church, I'd only been here for a few years as the lead pastor at that time, and I had an invitation to join a cohort of young senior pastors who were all kind of in the same place as far as ministry and leadership, and we all needed a little bit of help. There was a guy named Dr. Uh, Daniel Brown. We all called him Dr. D as his short handle, and he invited us all together to be a part of this cohort where we would be mentored and coached by him and kind of encouraged, but he had this like this secret desire for us to just all become friends, knowing that if we had colleagues and if we had friends who were kind of in the trenches together that we could co-labor, that we could connect, and that we could bear one another's burdens, and we could actually, in effect, be the church for one another as we were leading our churches in different locations. And I was really excited about this opportunity because I was at a place as a young pastor and as a young leader where I needed help. I don't know if you've been there and some of you maybe were part of this church at that time and you're like, hallelujah, he needed some help. And I did. I was at this place where I was hungry. I needed to grow. I needed to develop. And this was a great opportunity. And where we were as a church family, it was a, a sizable expense for us to, to get me uh, to be a part of this cohort. It was a time in our church history where we were rubbing nickels together trying to squeeze out a dime. I don't know if you've ever been there in your own life. And so I, when I went to the church council, I said, here's this opportunity, and it's gonna have a little bit of cost and investment to it, but I think it's going to help me and it's gonna help us in the long term. Everybody was all in on that. And so when I went, I felt a great responsibility to get all I could for the purchase right? There was this need and this desire to grow and to get all that I could in responsibility. And so when I showed up there, like I was all business. And those of you who kind of know me and just kind of run in more relational circles, I would much rather be relationally oriented than task oriented, but I felt such a responsibility on this trip that I was all in. And so I wasn't there to make friends I wasn't there to be fun. I wasn't there on vacation. I wasn't there to have some type of experience. I was there to learn and grow because I was in a place where I was in desperate need of some learning and some growing. And so when I showed up, I was all about that content. And as the night kind of began uh, that first evening, uh, it was anything but kind of task-oriented content delivery. 
it was mostly kind of building relationship and building friendships. It was a lot of kind of relational, gregarious type of celebratory space. And I was like, when are we going to get to the stuff that's going to help me not stink as a leader? Like, that's what I need right now. And so I was postured in a way where I wasn't really relatable. I wasn't really interacting. I was just kind of waiting for class to start in a sense because I was all in a deep desire to grow and I needed the help. And I remember as the, as the evening kind of wound down, we were moving out from the main building out to kind of our cabins. We were staying on this kind of this sprawling camp in uh, central Florida. And I was walking out going to, to my lodgings and, and Dr. Daniel came out and he was walking with me. And he asked me a question that offended me. And here was his question. He says, hey, do you wanna be here? And I was so offended because I knew how much I wanted to be there, how much I needed to be there, how much I desired to learn and to grow. And in looking at how everybody else was just kind of hoo-hawing around and high-fiving and just playing the vibe, I felt like I was the only one who really wanted to be there, right? I was all business, let's go, let's grow, I'm ready. And we began to have this conversation where he was talking to me about the way that I was posturing myself in the group. And what had happened is, is because I was there and I was kind of zeroing in on like, I've got to get whatever the secret sauce is. I was building up walls of relationship. I wasn't interacting. I wasn't interested in showing value to others. I wasn't actually being coming a part of the whole or the cohort in what was going on. And as we had kind of a coaching conversation, he said, this is how you seem to be presenting yourselves in the group. And I recognized that something had to shift and that my relational posture, okay, my relational posture needed to change. And as I went through the rest of that time and in the subsequent uh, kind of two-year cycle of meeting with those groups, I, I made that shift and I engaged in the whole, I was already a part of this group by invitation that was accepted, but I needed to learn what it meant to actually be part of the group. And as I began to do that, what ended up happening is my relational posture changed and it produced deep and lasting friendships that to this day, many of them are dear colleagues and co-laborers for Christ and we still champion one another 10 years down the road. Some of my richest and deepest ministry uh, friendships and experiences have come out of that. But I was in danger of missing everything altogether because of the relational posture that I was taking in that place. And as, as followers of Jesus, okay, as followers of Jesus, you and I have been called out of kind of the, the general uh, brokenness and darkness of the world, and we've been called into community. That was the whole uh, setup for this series, that when Jesus said that I'm going to build my ecclesia, my called out community of those who follow me, that he's called us to this new collective and this new way of being and this new way of doing. And in doing that, you and I often have to learn a new way to relate to one another. Because the way that we're used to relating to others in the world's systems, the way that we are used to relating to others in some of our broken family of origin systems is not the way that Jesus intends us to relate to one another in his community and not the way he intends us as his community 
to then in turn begin to relate to the world around us. There's a shift that has to happen where our relational posture ends up needing to change. And one of the things that I want you to do before we go on this morning is I want you to just for a second consider kind of that idea. Consider your relational posture. That's the the way you posture yourselves towards others. I want you to think about the way that you posture yourself in relationship with your spouse, with your parents, or with your kids. Think about the way that you relationally posture yourself with people who attend your church, coworkers, strangers, enemies. Think about the way that you posture yourself in relationship. Some of you might have relationship posture that is more defensive. Maybe you're standoffish. Maybe you're antagonistic. Maybe you're domineering. Maybe you're passive. Maybe you're distant. Maybe you're so focused on getting something done that there's not even any room for relationship. I want you to think about the relational posture. Lord, as we look at your word today, soften our hearts and open our eyes. Give us a a self-awareness by your spirit to recognize the places in us that are hindering right relationship with one another and right relationship with the world around us. Lord, the places where we are aligning the activity of our life with the old system of this world and effectively as a whole, the first three chapters of Ephesians really focus on that. This is who you are in Christ, and this is who we are in Christ together. And so for believers and then in our individual interactions is where he goes next. And a couple weeks ago, once as the church. And uh, the, the transition for the next three chapters, does this activity in your life align with live new and moving from this idea of community as we get to judgment of those as well and so as we begin to move from community maybe not you guys but the early service full of clowns right <laughs> throw them under the to those around us so in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 Paul starts moving away from just talk sacrifice to God. And so as he begins here, in just a moment, we're going to read and want to do what we love to do, and that's to either dismiss that as minimal, or we're going to want to have an excuse for what we're doing. So I'm just setting you up right now for your little wrestling match with the Holy Spirit, because that's going to be something that we're going to introduce in just a moment. But before Paul starts really pressing on us, stepping on our toes, so to speak, he reminds us this, because you are loved by God, now live differently in that confidence. Follow God's example in love. And he reminds us of Jesus' love for us and the way that that was something that was demonstrated. John, in his gospel, goes as far to talk about Jesus uh, being the expression of God's love. In uh, John's letter, he goes so far as to say that God is love, like the ultimate expression of pure, unconditional love. Jesus challenged his disciples to love as we have been loved. And in fact, goes as far in John's gospel to say that people will know you're a follower of Jesus by the way that you love one another. That should be so radically demonstrated in the followers of Jesus that it is unmistakable that you are one of those. And Paul reminds us of that. He begins with that, this idea of loving one another. It's this earmark of the disciples And with this love as our example and our motivation, we are to live our lives differently. 
Now, I'm not going to put these next verses up here, but I am going to read them because he goes from this encouragement to say, hey, follow God's example in love. He loves you. Jesus loves you. Go love one another. We're going to live differently. And here comes a naughty list right after that. And he says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are not proper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And he continues to move on from there and talk about immorality and greed and the way that that kind of perverts the way that we interact with one another. And if you begin to read this section, immediately you start to kind of squirm and want to skip ahead. I always found it funny that when we would touch on passages like this when I was a youth pastor, I would always have hands that would come up and they would ask questions like, yeah, but what really is coarse joking, right? Trying to kind of toe the line. Is, the, is this word, Pastor Ben, is this word? And then they would say the word, right? Is this an obscenity? Because in this country, it's not really a big deal. It's just kind of a big deal in this part of our country and really just to my mom and dad, right? The, here, can I tell you something? If you're going to raise your hand and be like, hey, you know, like, is this sexual immorality? It probably is. You already know your answer. Hey, is this, you know, if I, is this being greedy? Yeah, probably. You know, you want to know why? Because if we're raising our hand, we're trying to justify an action that we already know intuitively and probably because the Holy Spirit has prompted us that it's not good for us or for others that it's out of alignment with what God would have designed for you. And there's a really interesting scripture, and I would just kind of posit this to you. If you're somebody who kind of is wrestling back and forth with specific types of activity in your own life or lack of activity in your own life, we sometimes like to try to split hairs to justify the things that we know maybe the Lord is asking us to give up. But there's a really simple scripture that says this, that he who knows what he should do or he who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, missed it. And so if the Lord is prompting you or challenging you in any area of activity or character development in you that maybe isn't even a big deal to somebody else, but you know that the Lord's prompted you to a conversation, can I tell you, you need to have that conversation. Because there's something in you that needs to be healed and made whole. There's something in you that needs to be developed and, and set free. There's something in you that needs to be honed as character. God has a design for that. And we're all at different kind of stages and places in that. And so sometimes what he's working on in you isn't going to look like what he's working on in somebody else. But he does want to work on you and you should say yes to that. And so Paul kind of digs in our space here a little bit and then kind of moves on from there. And the, the next few verses really kind of toggle back and forth between this idea where he's calling out things in our lives that are frequently there that are, are really not supposed to be there any longer. Not because God's looking at us saying, oh, you're naughty, but because he's saying, hey, you're in Christ now. We don't, that's not how we do things. That's not how we live life. That's the old way. That's the broken way. That's the way that you cause destruction to yourself and to others. But here's a new way to live, abundant and free in me, and let's align ourselves with that. And so Paul kind of moves on from there. In verse 8, he says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. In verse 11, he says, Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. And that whole section kind of sets that up where he says, Hey, you should be living differently. And here's some ways to see if you are. And if those aren't lining up, he would say, Line it up. 
align the activity of your life with who you are in Christ. It's already true of you. I don't know if any of you guys remember this sick burn from when you were a kid. If you're part of Gen X and you're part of my, demo, uh, uh, my generation, this might have been something that you had said. But I remember in middle school, like one of the sickest ways that you could burn somebody is to, to make sure that everybody uh, saw them as being kind of immature and not as cool as you were, which is kind of an oxymoron in middle school because it's like it's the most awkward time ever and you were wholly immature but you can't see it, right? There's no self-awareness for sixth and seventh grade. And so I was in that place. And I remember when somebody was kind of acting up or being silly and we wanted to kind of put them in them pl their place and, and really in not your shoe size. Anybody remember that one? I think it's gonna trend again. I'm gonna tweet it out later on today. You guys, let's start the fire. Let's start the fire, right? Pastor Ben taught us sick burns and now we're gonna put people down. Wait a minute, that goes against everything that we just read about Paul. Look, we failed already, you guys. We're gonna to have to come back next week. And we used to say that because it would say, hey, you're, you're supposed to be a little bit more grown up than that. Why don't you act your age, not your shoe size? And it's kind of tongue in cheek and it's a little bit silly, but when Paul starts talking about kind of light and dark and he kind of lines out things that are no longer aligned with who Jesus is and who you are in Christ, he's saying, hey, why, why don't you align your life with who you are? You don't, you don't have to live that way anymore and you shouldn't live that way anymore. You shouldn't desire to and you can walk in freedom from that. And so he lines us out in that type of a case where he moves us into living differently. He moves us into living differently and he kind of touches on some of the activity there. But then right after this section, okay, and this, this is kind of a, like a personal application section. The early one in chapter four is he's talking about this is how the church works and this is how we all bring our part and this is how we all work together. Chapter five starts to get intrusive. We don't like it. It gets squirmy. It gets in our face. It starts calling us out about things that are probably still true of us at times and, and we're not really comfortable with that. And Paul doesn't let it lie there. He doesn't just leave it at that. He now moves from kind of pushing on some of the activity that is still uh, at times present in our lives to now he starts snooping in our homes. He starts moving into our closest circle of relationships and start looking at family dynamics and the way that those things work. And part of that is because it's gonna really expose, it's gonna expose the things that are true of us. Nobody knows you better than your spouse. Nobody knows you better than your kids or your parents. When you live with somebody, they know you, right? Whatever, whatever uh, else you have as a persona and as a reputation, all of that seems to be a little bit more diminished, right? <laughs> when you get home. And Paul starts looking into that space and he's going to look at that in a way that challenges the way that we relate to one another, the way that relationships are supposed to be entertained. And he begins with this statement. If you're a note taker, if you're somebody who likes to hold on to something that is like a, an anchor point for ideas and thought, this verse is absolutely crucial for all of what comes after it. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul moves from digging in the activity of your life and kind of saying, hey, how do you measure up to this naughty list? Don't do that stuff because that's not who you are. And now he starts looking at our relationships and he says this. He says, submit to one another. Everybody say one another. One another. One another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He makes a statement about our relational posture to others. 
And before he gets into our home, which is where he's going to go in just a minute, before he starts digging into our marriages, before he starts digging into our families, before he starts digging into the power dynamics of the way that we struggle and promote ourselves, before he goes into any of that, he begins with this statement that for the community of Christ followers, for the church as a whole, this is this is the bottom line. This is the, the kind of the, the goal of, of uh, orientation for us. Submit one to another. And that word submit has this uh, connotation to humble oneself. To humble oneself. And it's this stooping motion, but not this stooping motion to kind of stay down. It's not this kind of groveling type of posture. It's to stoop and use your strength to lift up others. Like when humility is talked about in the New Testament, when the idea of submission here is spoken here, it's to stoop and lend your strength to others so that you can serve them in strength and you can elevate them. It becomes uh, not a promotion of self, but you're looking to promote others in a sense, and that this is to be the norm in the church. The way that the church should default function is that you and I should be looking for every opportunity to serve one another, to submit to one another in relationship, to build one another up, to prop one another up. That's why in other places Paul says to bear one another's burdens. That's why we're in Hebrews told to encourage one another daily that the default way that the church is supposed to work as a called out community is to function in this way where we're submitting one to another. And that is counter to every relational dynamic you've ever experienced. Every relational dynamic that you have ever experienced has had power as part of it and there is always a posturing and almost always in the world systems, there's a posturing of self-promotion at the expense of another. There is always a superior type of a position and an inferior. And those power dynamics, whether you're talking about an individualized Western type of a culture or whether you go into a community-centered uh, type of culture on the other side of the world, those power dynamics are still a part of every human type of interaction. That the posture that we have towards others is always sizing them up to see who is above and who is a below. A comparison and whatever the barometric metric is for that, whatever is being used to kind of determine that changes from culture to culture, but the, the, the relational posture is always the same. Am I above you or am I below you? And if I'm below you, how can I get above you? What do I have to leverage in my own power and control that I can change this dynamic? That's how the relational systems of the world work. And we are called to live not that way. And so Paul calls us to this idea of mutual submission one to another. And then he moves from there. And he starts talking about where, the way that husbands and wives are supposed to interact. He starts talking about the way that children and parents are supposed to interact. And then he goes to a section that for us in our time period, we feel uncomfortable with. He starts talking about the way that masters and slaves are supposed to interact. And it's important to recognize what's happening here because what follows this statement of mutual submission, that in the church, everybody is supposed to look to posture one another in humility so that we can build one another up. 
what follows are pairings of relationships where he starts bringing about a reciprocity type of dynamic uh, that disrupts the power orientation. He starts addressing the posture of relationship between husbands and wives and men and women. He starts uh, dealing with the posture of relationship between children and parents and between master and slaves. And many people will look at this portion of scripture and they will make the assumption that Paul is trying to, uh, trying to uh, construct or create this type of social construct. They'll read this type of scripture and they will come to the conclusion that these things are okay. That somehow there should be this posturing, that there should be this exercise of authority that is tied to dominance and we're comfortable with that in our homes with our, with our spouses. We're comfortable with that with our kids. We kind of ignore the slave and master part because we know intuitively that that's gross and so we'll either skip that over or we'll change our hermeneutic at that point but what Paul is not doing is trying to establish this as the norm. He's not saying that this is okay. This social construct was already in place. This household code was already how they were living. And so when he begins to give instructions to these dynamics, he's trying to show Christ followers how to change the way that they interact in a system that is patriarchal and hierarchical and looks to bring superior and inferior into relationship. And so Paul's giving a, 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 a different perspective on this. The household codes that he starts talking about here are primarily influenced by Greek philosophers. Aristotle, for one, was one who promoted this type of dynamic, where he would say that a patriarchal dynamic, where the male is dominant over female, and male is dominant over child, and male is dominant over slave, that this was natural. Aristotle said that it enhanced the household and in turn made the state or the nation stronger. It was a Greek philosophy type of social construct that they were already living in. The Greco-Roman world was oriented towards this type of a household code that was hierarchical and male dominated. And the structure supported the idea that a superior role and an inferior role was considered the strength of society. As long as everybody knew their place and the inferior stayed in their place, then we're all strong together. Which sounds like a great thing if you're the strong, doesn't it? And they were the ones who got to speak towards this type of dynamic. And so as Paul begins to talk about husbands and wives, when he leads with, in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Like this, this statement in this section has been used to kind of perpetuate these type of power dynamics and to make those who have and have not. But even in the statement that Paul makes here, this is a radical different statement where he changes the construct of submission, where the wife and the husband are the ones who are having kind of this mutual submission, and he takes it away from just male-female. Because in the Greco-Roman world, it wouldn't have just been husbands and wives in this dynamic, it would have been any male would have priority. And so he begins to disrupt that, and then he moves, he moves from that statement of wives submit, he kind of keeps it in the language that they understood, and then he goes and he says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. He starts going to the husband and saying, no, 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 this isn't about you dominating and there being a submitter, you actually have to lay down your life the same way that Jesus did. You have to lose it all. You have to humble yourself. 
You have to make that a priority. And that in that exchange, there's this mutual submission that he's introducing into this relationship. Very radical and foreign, and it was disruptive of the social norm. He wasn't in any way saying that we're supposed to dominate one another. He's speaking opposite of that. When he goes to the children dynamic and parents, children obey your parents, and this things will go well with you. That's a nice way of saying, hey, remember mama brought you in this world and mama can take you out. That's how I read it, <laughs> right? But then after he touches on that idea of, of children kind of choosing to walk in obedience and walk in honor, he turns right around and he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't exacerbate them. Because what the norm was is that the, the man ruled with an iron fist and he would grind his kids into submission. And so he's, he's, un, he's unweaving these types of dynamics. And then he moves to slaves and masters and he says, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. And then he disrupts the whole apple cart and he says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. See, it's important to understand that he is not advocating this social construct as being somehow God-honoring. He's not establishing it. He's not putting into place. He's speaking to people who have been made new in Christ to live new in a system that's still old. And it's convenient for us at times to use a lens that suggests that this power dynamic in the home should still be there. And I have a lot of, of friends and people who are wrestling through those types of ideas. They correlate with a few other places and passages in the New Testament to come to the conclusion that somehow this is the right way to be. But if you use that hermeneutic here, you have to carry it to the thing that Paul says about slaves and masters. If the, if the power dynamic is correct, then the slavery dynamic is correct, and that couldn't be further from the gospel. You have to change your hermeneutic mid-study. Uh, mid to come to that conclusion. We're to choose, we're to choose to serve one another. We're to choose to live our lives in alignment with the new you in Jesus. Choose to serve one another and it changes the relationship posture. And that's not just something that Paul does here. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus does the same thing with his disciples. He brings them together because they're arguing about greatness. They're self-promoting and they're posturing. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, he calls them together and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's saying, hey, you know how the world works. You know how power is exercised in the world. You know what dominance looks like. You know when people use their strength for their own, for their own uh, edge. So you're, you're fully aware, you recognize that. You've lived that. And then he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
Submit one to another. It's the same thing that Paul is saying. And it's looking to undermine and disrupt the power dynamic that says they're superior and inferior and that if I have strength, then I have power. And if I have power, then I have position. And that means I have my way. I can exercise my dominance. It's disrupting all of that and saying, no, if you're gonna be like Christ, you're gonna humble yourself. You're gonna humble yourself. And if the church begins to do that, listen to me, unfortunately, in bodies of believers, the dynamic of power looks the same as the rest of the community and the rest of the world. And it should not. It should not. In the kingdom of God, if you wanna be first, you're gonna be last. If you wanna be great, you're gonna be a servant of all. And what Paul would say is the ideal. The ideal is when the body of Christ comes together and we are looking to serve one another. That at every opportunity, our relational posture is to stoop in humility and try to lift somebody else up. That we're building one another up, that we're encouraging one another. And if everybody is doing that, everybody is being built up, being encouraged. There's a stability and a strength and the church is called out from the brokenness of the world and looks a lot different. In youth ministry and in prepping mission teams for different trips, we've done a team building exercise at different times and you get a circle of people and you kind of stand in a line and then you close the line. Close the line and you make this circle so you're all kind of like front to back. And you can try this at home with your family if you want to have a frustrating afternoon. I'll just give you the heads up on it. But you make that circle and then you look to sit down at the same time and you're gonna sit on the lap of the person behind you. And if you do it right, if you do it correctly, with the right timing and at the right spacing, you can sit down on the lap of the person behind you at the same time simultaneously and everybody is sitting and freestanding in air. Your feet are on the ground, of course, but you are being lifted up, you are being postured on the knees of the person behind you and you're doing the same for the person in front and the the weight is distributed and you can hold and you can just sit in a circle with no chairs, it's awesome. But there's always one guy who just doesn't get the timing right or gets jittery legs or gets tired or something like that and then they all fall down which is why I loved to watch that, I never did it for myself, (laughs) instructed them. But the picture is a great one of the way that the church is supposed to work, that when we all stoop to support one another, everybody is supported. And it changes, it changes the power dynamics of relationships and it changes what the church looks like in comparison to the world. And it moves us into a place where we are being and doing very different. But often it begins with our desire or at least our willingness to change the posture of our relationship with others. Church family, if you would come, uh, you guys stand. Worship team's gonna come forward. If I brought them all forward, that would be wild. As the worship team's coming forward, I'm gonna just give you a couple, a couple thoughts to think about. This, this week, okay, this week, your interactions with others, what? What would your week look like if you chose a posture of humility and service in your interactions with others? Like what would your exchange with your spouse look like? 
What would that dynamic between you and your children look like? How would things go with your coworker? What would it look like in your community? If you and I chose to change our relational posture from somehow trying to preserve ourselves or hold on to our power and looked to in humility serve others. Lord, if, if we're honest, that thought is uncomfortable. The thought of humility is uncomfortable. The thought of serving is uncomfortable. Lord, the thought of giving away power or using it for another's benefit, Lord, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's because it's not how we've lived. It's not the experience that we've had in this world. It's not the way any of our other relational dynamics have worked. And so we fumble at this frequently, Lord. We're challenged by this. Even in the church, being made new in Christ, being new creations, we still frequently look this old way. So Jesus, we admit that we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Jesus, remind us of your humility. Remind us of how low you had to stoop to rescue us from our sin. How great a price you had to pay. The death that you died. Lord, in that remembrance, Lord, in that remembrance, would you give us, give us the motivation and the desire to do likewise. If we've been made new in you, let us to go and do new. And Lord, let it begin with our posture towards others. That there would be a humility, that there would be an openness, an active service, a willingness to stoop and lend our strength so that others can be built up. Let it begin in us and begin in this church and let it extend to the community this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few action steps for you this week. You can snap a picture of this or catch it online later on. Number one is I want to encourage you to just follow Jesus' example of radical love. Number two, change your relational posture. Think about that in your interactions with others. Number three, look to in humility. Use your strength to serve others this week.